on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game. coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Before I launch into everything I want to talk about today and this really, really great big news, exciting Tuesday, I want to say a special thanks to the studio where I do this show. This show is at, I was produced uh, live at a studio in Dallas. It's called Real News PR, Real News Communication Network. If you ever thought about doing a talk show, look into Real News PR. This is a professional staff who knock themselves out and at the very last minute allow me to make changes in the show, run in, print this, and, and here we go live in these uh, lovely studios. So I really want to give thank you and to, especially thanks to my producer, Emilio Diaz, who just is you know right there with me very calmly saying, yes, I got it. I got your latest changes. Yeah, we're all set. So I appreciate them very much. I also want to say thank you to Brighting on TV. This show is carried in addition to an every conceivable social media platform there is, except YouTube, we won't go into that again, but except YouTube is carried everywhere. And I love when I see people out at speeches or other events, they say, yeah, I listened to an iTunes. And I'm thinking, wow, I kind of forgot we're there. So we're, it's everywhere, which I really appreciate. But Brighty on TV is a unique and extraordinary organization that is giving a platform and a voice to conservative candidates. And Brighty on TV carries this show. It's brighteyon.tv. Check it out. Great hosts here, hosts there. Substantive, serious, thoughtful, Patriots. I love that they do that. Uh, I also uh, am just very, very grateful to have this opportunity to talk to you on this Tuesday. I'm telling you, my schedule has become so busy because of running my campaign for RNC committee woman. And I read stories all the time thinking, I can't wait to talk about that in the show. And they realize, oh my gosh, I'm only doing two days a week. I can't fit them all in. But obviously, big, big news uh, was the result yesterday in the Iowa caucus, first in the nation primary, uh, the Iowa caucus. And my good friend, Natasha Owens, a wonderful, extraordinary performer, singer, just wonderful voice. Um, she has a song that kind of summarized it all. Uh, and I'm going to quick hit uh, that music. Here we go, Emilio singing, yes. Quick hit her point about Donald Trump. Here you go.
Okay, I love that she actually did that song. <clears throat> Natasha Owens uh, produced that song, I think it was two years ago or so, uh, reflecting on the 2020 elections. But the Iowa uh, caucus, amazing outcome for President Trump. I want to actually ask Amelia next. We had a little chart to show you the outcome of that uh, first in the nation primary in Iowa. There it is, it's up on the screen. If you didn't know, Donald Trump uh, swamped the Iowa caucus. And if you're looking at the percentage of total take, which says 51%, you might think, hey, that was really close. Not even. He won 51% uh, of the votes. But having said that, the second highest vote getter was Ron DeSantis at far less than half, 21.2. Nikki Haley, 19.1. Uh, 8.6 went to other, which I assume includes Vivek Ramaswamy and others. Point is, Donald Trump swept. And this is the, a place where all the candidates, even though all of them complained about how much everybody else spent, everybody spent a fortune in Iowa to turn out their vote in the Iowa caucus. And in Iowa, they were having a blazing blizzard snowstorm ice on the roads. I mean, it's just a really difficult travel day yesterday. So many people say, well, you know, that makes it more likely older voters will stay home, which may or not may not be true. I haven't read the data from there. But to make the point, if it is at all true, it means that Donald Trump is appealing to not just, you know, the people try to claim, well, the older generation, they don't know what's going on today. Uh, he basically swept the place. Uh, Ron DeSantis won exactly zero counties. This is really important to understand. Zero. Nikki Haley won one county. Getting at the point that in this first in the nation, this most extraordinary election of 2024, where will we be deciding whether or not we're going to hold on to America as founded or surrender to the leftist takeover? We are watching happen before our very eyes the first in the nation caucus, uh, which they, that's what they call their primary. It's a different system, but the outcomes for Donald Trump, just extraordinary. So you can come back to me. I just want to tell you that. I want to talk more about this because I know when some people say, well, you know, Donald Trump, you know, he appeals to some, but a lot of people hate him. He's very divisive. Let me just say, Donald Trump, Whatever you think of his personality, which I happen to find entertaining, but whatever you think of his personality, or you do or don't like some of his tweets, the fact is his single, his, his just singular message is to stand up for America, for the idea of America, for a secure border, for economic policy that favors American workers, that brings jobs back to America. Stand up for a military that is strong. And isn't just that he has policies, because I'm going to say some DeSantis supporters, some Nikki Haley supporters may say, well, well, their policies are all about the same, and, and, you know, which they're not entirely, although there's certainly overlap and, and some, uh, familiar, some you know, similar um, policies that the top vote-getters uh, have. The difference is in the sense that people have of Donald Trump that he will fight for America. He is not intimidated by the media. He's not intimidated by the lawfare state going after him, trying to take him off the ballots. He is not intimidated by the corruption of America's criminal justice system that is absurdly unjustifiably going after him on in every single case against Donald Trump in the courts right now is just simply political hackery by the left, a political attack using the law enforcement system in this country by the, those in power to attack the one who most threatens their power, Donald Trump. People get behind Trump because they love his sense, I'm going to fight for the American people. I'm not tied up with the corporate wealthy. I'm not with the globalists. I'm not with the Epstein people. I'm the guy who loves America. The beautiful thing about Trump's campaign 
and four years ago as well as now, or back in 2015, 2016 as well as now, is that the people who you see at his rallies, these are every, these are everyday, you know, Joe Lunchpail America, middle America, hardworking, actually productive, honest, law-abiding, God-fearing, Christian and Jewish and other religions, but, but people who are people of faith, they get behind Donald Trump because they sense this man will fight. They have no such sense for any of the other candidates. I want to do, so I want to play, close out the first five by playing just a little bit of the clip that Donald Trump, he gave, a, a, you know, longer remarks and played just a short clip of Donald Trump. And then we'll turn next to talking about what happened to everybody else in the, in the Iowa caucus yesterday. But here's Donald Trump. I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time. And most importantly, we want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout. What a crowd. And I really think this is time now for everybody, our country, to come together. We want to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. It would be so nice if we could come together and straighten out the world and straighten out the problems and straighten out all of the death and destruction that we're witnessing. That's practically never been like this. It's uh, just so important. And I want to make that a very big part of our message. We're going to come together. It's going to happen soon, too. It's going to happen soon. Speaking of coming together, and as I close out the first five, we're going to turn uh, to what uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, how he reacted, how Ron DeSantis reacted, how Nikki Haley reacted. But I want to really hone in on this point as people move forward in this 2024 you cannot overstate the importance of this election of 2024. There have been people saying for months now, Trump supporters saying that all the other candidates should get out of the race, get out of the race, let Trump have it, you know? And I, my first reaction to that was not positive because I actually, I support people, the, the, the idea of entering a primary, of getting primarying, uh, entering a primary race against an incumbent. There are some Republicans, and I, I talked to many many activist Republicans, consultant Republicans, kind of the world I live in. I talk to activists and, and consultant types, and you'll hear some people say, look, so-and-so is doing a good job, whether it's a state senator, state rep, U.S. senator, whoever they are, a U.S. member of Congress, or even the president. People say, well, he's doing a great job. No one should get in the primary. I've never agreed with that. I think actually the idea of primaries, they're a way of returning or restoring to the people the idea that we the people, we are the sovereign, we elect our government and we are entitled to run people and someone can run against the most popular senator or congressman or state rep or state senator ever and they can put their hat in the ring and then people like them or they don't. That's the beauty of our system. We have a republic a de with democratic elections. We have a constitutional republic, so we follow the constitution and the concept of a republic, but we have democratically controlled elections. And so as a, as a generic matter, you know, I've always said, people want to challenge an incumbent and you think that incumbent is the greatest thing since sliced bread, then then incumbent's going to win. If you're right, the incumbent will win. And so you have people, you know, entering primaries where a lot of others are saying, why is he even bothering? You know, everyone loves this guy. So this idea that several months ago, people started saying, well, you know, the other presidential candidate should get out of the race has been something that many people, uh, the Trump supporters say, and I've really been con on that saying of the mindset that says, you know, everyone's entitled to win. You know, everyone's entitled to run. You know, DeSantis isn't going to win the primary and Nikki Haley's not going to win it unless, you know, unless massive changes happen. You know, Donald Trump is on track to just swamp the primaries as we saw yesterday in Iowa. 
But I've had a bit of a change of heart I want to share with you and, and ask you to think about, and that is this. We are facing, on, in America, the most organized, you know, uniparty mindset, starting with the Democrats. You have literally a commander-in-chief, he who occupies the White House, and he does, he did not win the White House, he's occupying the White House. He didn't win the election in 2020, as we have discussed many times. But there he is, you have a Democrat party rallying behind him when he doesn't even know, and I'm very sorry, but he's suffering from some severe form of dementia. I hardly ever on this show play the clips of, of Joe Biden unable to figure out how to exit the stage, lost in the middle of remarks, can't remember what state he's in, can't remember the topic he's there to talk about. I mean, I don't play those things. I will make reference to them because it's important to understand that this is who the Democrats are rallying behind. And they're rallying behind him because they believe that he is their best chance to hold on to the White House the next term. Now, a lot may happen between now and November, but they rally behind him because they value victory and they don't really value victory because Biden's a great guy. They don't, they don't, I mean, he's a hair sniffing, perverse, you know, socialist funded by the, um, as I reviewed with those of you who pay attention, funded by communist Russia from the time the first campaign he ran for United States Senate when he ran for this is who this this is who the left is rallying around the hard left rallies behind Biden because they understand he is utterly controlled utterly controlled by Barack Obama the you know the former president the communist he's a you know socialist at minimum he, he's a, he's a communist in his mindset it's how he thinks it's what he writes about it's what he wrote about as a young man it's how he thinks it's who he is and they love the hard left loves Biden in the White House because they understand that Barack Obama's controlling everything and if you're hard leftist and you want America to make a hard left turn toward communism away from freedom away from the constitution you know Obama and then Biden, that's your guy. And the left is unified behind this effort. Very, very few Democrats even make whimpers of a noise about maybe they'll run against Biden. So we have the left unified around a befuddled man who is controlled by a communist. You have them absolutely silent at the just the volcano, the, the wave of destruction that the Biden team is deliberately inflicting on America in policy after policy after policy, and they all shut up. They all let Biden roll. They all pretend that the border is secure. They pretend it's normal that the military spends time on pronoun classes versus how to kill your enemies. They let every destructive Biden policy, including surrendering our sovereignty over our healthcare system to the World Health Organization, every Democrat in America is silent. So you have a unified left around a, a befuddled old man who doesn't even know what's going on, controlled by a communist who has an agenda that is, is just transparent if you're willing to open your eyes and see it, and then you have the Republicans. You have Donald Trump polling 40 points above everybody else, Iowa turned out to be exactly what many people assumed it would be, a landslide victory for Trump. And, you know, if you t tally, by the way, in those numbers I had up, if you tally the total of both of Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis together, together, 
they had fewer votes, votes than Donald Trump. It's not like there's a plurality divide. The people are screaming from the seats. We want Donald Trump back in the White House. We want him as a Republican candidate because he fights. That's the reality on the ground. That's what's happening in America. And so back to my point a moment ago about people saying, why don't these other people get out of the race? I will tell you, the one candidate who showed actual character, actual morality, actual ethics in response to this Iowa caucus was Vivek Ramaswamy. So close out the first five by saying this, the people, including Vivek Ramaswamy, saying the other folks need to get out and let the people choose their president, let the people on the Republican side of the aisle choose their candidate, and they want Trump because they know how hard Trump fought from 2016 to 2020. They know the election was stolen from him in 2020. They can see the wrecking operation that is the Biden administration, and they want to fight her back in office. That, my friends, is why I'm on board with the idea the other candidates at this point need to face the reality, face the music, and do the upright thing that Vivek Ramaswamy did and get out of this race. That, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Okay, I call this next segment um, Trump's blowout victory in Iowa, because we're still talking about it. And this blowout victory in Iowa, this second segment, um, I want to talk about a couple things, people's reaction. One, I mentioned Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, I'm fully aware that some pretty informed um, conservative pundits have actually followed the idea that Vivek Ramaswamy is actually like a, a sinister spy kind of candidate. He's really maybe someone sent in by the left. He's maybe got some, you know, you know, nefarious background. Um, they tried to attach to him that he was a World Economic Forum guy, and that turned out to be um, that he was a, a young they had young leaders or some title uh, that World Economic Forum gave to some young people. So some of the attackers of Vivek Ramaswamy are trying to say, see, he's a World Economic Forum guy. Actually, he's not, and he fought back against that, and he exposed the fact World Economic Forum tapped him on the shoulder, said, hey, we'd like to make you one of our young, young fighters, whatever they had some name for it. He said, no, thank you. They did it anyway. He forced them to take it down. So I'm getting at the point. He's not, at least, this World Economic Forum spy kind of guy that some people said. Maybe he has some other players or background behind him that are orchestrating him. I am not sold on that, that being a true story. In any case, Vivek Ramaswamy responded to the Iowa caucus results like an actual, true, genuine statesman. Here is Vivek Ramaswamy. Tonight, I want to first thank our incredible team that has worked their tails off for the last year and the last month. Here in Iowa, all of you volunteers, you have lifted us up from, what, February of last year when we got into this. Nobody knew who we were. Nobody knew what we were up to. And together, we have created a movement that I think is going to carry our nation to the next level. And for that, all of the patriots across this state, across this country, everybody watching on the live stream, we are so grateful to you. And I promise you this. We are just getting started in leading this movement to our future of tonight. The first hard truth, and this one's hard for me. I gotta admit this, but we've looked at it every which way. And I think it is true that we did not achieve the surprise that we wanted to deliver tonight. And I think that that's just a hard fact that we're gonna have to accept as a campaign. And the question then is, what do we do that is right for our country? The business out of the way. 
and then I want to tell you where we're going. As of this moment, we are going to suspend this presidential campaign. And this is going to have to be, there is no path for me to be the next president absent things that we don't want to see happen in this country. I made that decision today. And I'm also making the decision that this has to be an America first candidate in that White House. As I've said since the beginning, there are two America first candidates in this race. And earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulated him on his victory. And now going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. Okay. I have to tell you how classy and, and, and just um, profoundly important that is. Because, you know, to be fair, Vivek Ramaswamy didn't even, apparently he was in fourth place. So you had your know, Trump overwhelmingly winning, uh, and you had DeSantis, who won out of 99 counties in Iowa, won zero, but he still apparently accumulated a number of votes, came in second. Nikki Haley won one out of 99 counties in Iowa, and she came in third. Vivek Ramaswamy, so I know others would say, well, you know, he didn't win anything. But Vivek Ramaswamy has done many great things in this presidential campaign. He has been, and first of all, he gives what I think is profoundly important. It is why so many heart and soul, you know, just, just everyday Americans love Donald Trump because they love the message of America first. They love the message of make America great again. They love him, Trump, because he loves America and he says so. You know, it's interesting. Um, I remember when Reagan was president and other times, you would hear more politicians uh, on both sides of the aisle make reference to loving America and the goodness of the American people and, and the rightness of America's ideas. You hardly, you don't hear it from the left ever. I mean, ever. The Democrats are all about how terrible America is, as horrible and racist and evil and all the other things they just, they, they get votes by condemning America. But on the Republican side, also, you hear very few people talking about the goodness of the American people. That's one thing Trump does, and that's one thing Vivek Ramaswamy picked up on. He picked up on the idea and said, yes, I'm an America first candidate. I want America to be proud, to, to seek being first in everything, and to be proud of being first, proud of our successes. He spoke many hard truths during this campaign. Now, I don't know, as I say, some very serious commentators question what is most motivating him or funding him or driving him. I haven't seen things out of him that caused me to doubt his uh, sincerity or to think he's just an actor being manipulated by some nefarious players. Um, I, it could be true, but I have not seen that. I have been impressed with his candidacy, impressed with his capacity to speak hard truths, and he is, like Trump, self-made. He has made his way, made his fortune, made his success by being an actual um, success in entrepreneurship. So I will give him a lot of credit, and plus that speech, I mean, I obviously had to cut out parts of it, but that speech was, um, I mean, I mean, it, it was statesmanlike. It was, it was what you want actual people who love America more than they love themselves, love the idea of preserving America more than the idea they love themselves getting to be president someday. It was truly, truly, uh, just, just uh, very, very commendable. I, I can't commend it enough. Um, 
And I will also say, I was watching that clip and watching his wife. You know, as a, this is a total aside to the news of the day, but I remember back when um, Senator Ted Cruz, who is at Texan and who, whom my husband and I both supported for president when he was running in 2016, you know, before, when he was still in the race and Trump was in the race. So it got down to Trump and Ted Cruz. And I happened to have gotten a call or a text earlier in the day, and I knew that uh, Ted Cruz was going to withdraw from the presidential race in this evening's, um, that, that evening's uh, press opportunity. He was, he was going to withdraw, and, I, and so anyway, I tuned in anyway to watch, and I was watching um, another relative of his, I happened to know, on stage with him, and I could just see it in her face, you know, I mean, she, I could just see she's holding back tears, and who wouldn't be? I mean, such a monumental thing to run for president and to do so well, and then to end up having to withdraw. So you can see it in her face. Well, I could see this. I was watching, I'm sure you might have caught it too as well, of Vivek Ramaswamy's wife on that clip. You know, she's she's just being, she's being his partner, his his wife, his supporter, but you know, she's fighting back tears. It's a huge, huge thing to put the energy and passion, and I'm sure in their case, money and suspending all the life activities to run for president. It was an enormous thing that he did to run. And I, I just noticed she was, it's a sign of a woman who loves her husband. And, and you know, she's, she's disappointed that I got to that point. And I think his whole message of, of America first will probably come out again. You know, I'm not, I, I am, you know, as you may be obvious to you, I support Donald Trump because I think he did an extraordinary job in his first four years. He was robbed of his reelection in 2020, and he is uh, the candidate the Republican voters in America want. You know, hook, line, sinker, full stop, period. That's who the Republicans want. So now we'll turn to DeSantis and Nikki Haley. So DeSantis had a speech, and it was kind of interesting. I started to grab clips from it. I decided to forget it. I'll just summarize it for you. DeSantis did some great things in Florida, and I think he will be a, a, a great governor, continue to be a great governor. He may do other things. He may run for president again. I don't know. My sense was always that Ron DeSantis got in this race based on kind of a promise or representation or, or something by the very, very, very wealthy donors who supported him that basically said, look, we're going to pile a bunch of money in your campaign and you just run and we're taking care of getting Trump out of the race. I think this massive orchestrated effort to make Donald Trump somehow not eligible to run or, you know, under indictment or even having have a conviction, uh, you know, to his name. This was all an orchestrated effort by many, many people to decide we're not letting that guy, Donald Trump, be president because he is such a threat to the entire uniparty deep state establishment. He will clean it out and people know it. So back to DeSantis, I actually have had the sense watching and listening to him for months now that he kind of wishes he hadn't gotten in. No one's told me this. No one in his campaign has told me this. I'm just telling you what I think. I think that DeSantis is, you know, he didn't, I mean, he came in second in total votes. He won zero counties, which is, you know, interesting. And um, he kind of took a victory lap. He gave a speech afterward. Oh, well, you know, we checked the box, you know, we, we, uh, and he, I forgot his exact, exact expression, but like we've checked the box. It's like, okay, yeah, you came in extremely uh, low second. Um, okay. It was because of your support, in spite of all that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. So basically, you know, and he did, by the way, he, DeSantis, even got the endorsement of the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds. Um, and that was kind of a, and he also got an endorsement of one of the really, really big evangelists there who uh, there was 
significant talk about how much money changed hands over that endorsement. But in any case, what DeSantis learned in Iowa is these people, and you get back to Iowa people, and I would tell you, my mother grew up in Iowa, I have cousins there, I, I know something about the culture of Iowa. These are these are Heartland America people. These are these are farmers. There's a like my family, my mother's family. There's a lot of Norwegian Lutheran ministers up there in Iowa. You know this this is who they are. They're salt of the earth, good people, and those people listened to all that DeSantis had done in Florida, which he did a lot, I and mean, he did a lot of great things. I would never take away his record in Florida, but when the people thought. Who do I trust? Which of these candidates do I trust? Candidates do I trust to get up there and fight against the destruction of America, the destruction of our culture, our people, our country, everything? Who do I trust? You know, the vast majority said, I'll take Trump, even with the endless efforts of many people to claim he won't be eligible, we're going to take him off the ballot somehow. All what the left is trying to do is not succeeding. So to DeSantis, you know, he might say, well, I came in second. I can go a few more states. Okay, fine. Go a few more states. New Hampshire is coming up. But it'll be really clear to watch, interesting to watch, how long DeSantis stays in. Because if other races turn out to be something similar to this, now obviously DeSantis and especially Nikki Haley are looking for these New England states where it's more the you know um, country club Republican mindset. They're not really the heartland, you know, solid heartland, July Fourth, Main Street, Mainstream America kind of of a, of a citizenry or kind of Republican voters. They're more the elite Republicans who vote mostly in economic policy. You know, this this is a place maybe. Maybe Ron uh, DeSantis or Nikki Haley will maybe pick up a little bit of steam. That's what they're thinking. But my two cents on is this. The American people, even though it may be true that in the following two primaries, especially New Hampshire coming right up, that you'll, you'll discover a little bit more energy for Nikki Haley and DeSantis, I think the overwhelming polling across the country that is only getting better and better and better for Trump is really ultimately going to mean that they're going to have to size up reality as uh, Vivek Ramaswamy did and just say, this isn't my year to run. It doesn't mean they can't run again. It doesn't mean they won't be president someday. It means it's not your time. It's not your year. That's what I think. And I think it's actually a, a, an ethical question at some point. How long do DeSantis and Nikki Haley stay in this race when they can see the overwhelming preference of the American people is for Donald Trump. Because part of what happens is, you know, it's the the um, I, money gets spent. Money, people who might donate to Trump or will donate, but instead donate to DeSantis or Nikki Haley, their money is just spent on someone uh, who, who's out of the race when it could be spent in the fight to defeat Joe Biden and the anti-American left. So money is an issue. The longer people stay in the race, there's also just the antagonism that people engage in. You're tired, you're on a campaign trail, you're annoyed, so you're flinging insults. I mean, the last debate, which I did not watch, but the last debate between DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley, apparently it involved a great deal of exchange of barbs and pot shots and back and forth, back and forth, which are then, they only end up in Democrat Party campaign literature and Democrat Party television commercials. Well, even Nikki Haley said about, you know, this, is, this is why, prim this is the downside of primaries. I truly, deeply believe in the right of primaries, but I also think that statesmanship needs to emerge pretty darn soon um, in, the, in DeSantis and also Nikki Haley. A couple other quick points about Nikki Haley. I, do, I have two, a couple other stories, but I want to do a couple other stories about um, points about Nikki Haley. Um, 
first of all, just to make clear, DeSantis visited all 99 counties in Iowa. I mean, some people say, well, you lose if you don't show up. Visit all the counties in Iowa, um, and he didn't win a single one. And so this is, I mean, you, you have to be a little honest with yourself because DeSantis is a very different candidate than Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is, a, you know, she's kind of trying to appeal to the elite country club Republican, um, you know, mindset. She, she's, not a, she's not a people person. She's not a, I love the American people person at all. She's a position, she, positioner, she's a strategist. She's trying to figure out, you know, how do you pull this crowd in, this group in, this group in, not like Trump who just tells you what he thinks and, and the people come to him because they like what he thinks. So you interesting to watch, a couple more uh, primaries um, and then we'll see how it all um, shakes out. But I do think on Nikki Haley, two things that are going on. One is there is a Democrat strategist, just one of the most despicable human beings imaginable. His name is David, and I never am sure, honestly, how to say his last name. It's like P-F-O-U-F-F-E or something like that. Foof. He is a foof, but that's actually too kind a word. He's a very nasty man. And when Trump won the first time, he uh, back in 2016, he had some comment um, that essentially was about, uh, you know, we must do everything we can to fight in every way to get Donald Trump, you know, often a man like this should never enter the White House again. I forgot the exact quote, and maybe someone can send it to me, but whatever his foof's quote was, it was really horrible. So foof is out there now. This David Foof, a uh, huge Obama advisor, is out there encouraging Democrats in the upcoming primaries to cross over and vote in the Republican primary, vote for Nikki Haley in order to weaken Donald Trump. Now, I know these things are happen, you know, in, in presidential cycles, you'll hear people, you know, some big strategy for people in one party ought to go to the other side and vote in their primary to, to basically interfere with the primary voters of that party in choosing their own candidate. So he, Foof, an Obama supporter, is rah-rahing Nikki Haley and encouraging Democrat voters to get out and vote for her. So, you know, it's a kind of, I mean, it's just a, it's a desperation move because the Democrat is, uh, power brokers in Washington are finally realizing Trump is going to be the candidate unless, even if we lock him in jail, he'll probably still win. So this is, the, this is their antagonism. And I also say about Nikki Haley, there's more and more talk about the way she talks as if she's moderating. And people are starting to try to talk about the idea, maybe the Democrats will coalesce around her to the point that I don't think she'll actually change parties and run as a Democrat. I don't think she'll do that. But there's something afoot in the Democrat mindset about Nikki Haley and how cool it would be if they had her, you know, she'd be the first woman um, as a um, president or vice president. She's obviously of Indian descent, so she'd be a considered a person of color. There's Democrat interest in her that's kind of creepy and unhealthy, and that's another thing going on with her. I just I, she she is to be watched. Um, okay, I'll tell you back to someone did send me um, what Foof had to say on Twitter, uh, and I'm probably not saying his name correctly, but Ploof. I'm sorry, it is Ploof. P L O U F F E on Twitter about Trump it is not enough to simply beat Trump. He must be destroyed thoroughly. His kind must not rise again. And, and his kind as though, you know, and, and Trump, of course, resonates with the American people. He resonates with heartland America. He resonates actually with a vast majority of Republicans polled over and over and over. In any case, watch for Nikki Haley. Uh, so it's, it's a really big day, I think, uh, in America. I'm going to turn away from the Iowa primary and just uh, Iowa caucus in just a moment. But I think watching um, 
watching what the American people, how they react, Republican voters react to the candidates, especially against the backdrop of what we are facing in this country. I have on my show countless times talked about medical tyranny and the belief of the left. They can control your life and force you to get vaccinations you don't want, limit your freedom to travel. Their climate policies, as you finally dig in and understand what they're saying, will truly limit your freedom to travel and move around freely. These people are working as fast as they can to surrender American sovereignty to the World Health Organization, other UN-affiliated type organizations. They're working to undermine the very core structure of what America is. That's what the left is doing. And in that light, in these times, in these circumstances, at this point in history, I truly believe the majority of Republicans will very clearly emerge in this primary process that they want to fight or they want Donald Trump. And again, it does not mean that anyone else running doesn't have a future. It just may not be the right year for them to run because some of them, I think, will run. Over and over and over, in fact, they will continue running. But I think for at this time, the idea of being a patriot and getting the strongest candidate you can to stand up against all that the left orchestrates, including the election fraud that is whether whoever is orchestrating it, the massive electronic election fraud, the other forms of election fraud we have seen and not solved yet, not one state in this country solved electronic election fraud even after the 2020 election happened. So we have, we have the left orchestrating as much as they can. We need the strongest candidate around to win on the Republican side. And I think very soon the other candidates remaining in the race need to understand their job is to save America. And at this time that save America means to turn the power, <clears throat> to turn the nomination over to, to recognize the will of the American people and give the nomination to Trump. Having said that, I'll tell you folks, who knows what will happen? Things can change. You know, well, watch. I'm going to be here every Tuesday and Thursday talking with you about America um, throughout the rest of this, uh, well, for a very, very long time, but certainly through this entire presidential cycle. Okay, two of the stories I wanted to hit today. Um, one, um, is, uh, there's an organization called ADF, it's Alliance Defending Freedom. And I happen to know these people. It's really interesting because of an organization I belong to. I, I know the people behind this organization, the founder and the lawyers who run it and fight it. And they took a case. And, you know, I always say this show, my talk show, America Can We Talk, it's always about saving America. It's never about anything else. I don't talk about fashion, football, or anything foofy. Even I said the guy's name was, his name isn't foof, it's ploof. But on a serious note, I do, I try with every show, every story, every um, you know, con topic we get to, I try to talk about the idea that it is incumbent on this generation of Americans to speak up and save this country, to speak up for America and its unique and extraordinary greatness and the goodness of the American people. That's what I defend and speak for all the time. So turning to the Alliance Defending Freedom, they are an organization that helps people, defends them in religious freedom cases. And they are, um, you know, as all those kind of organizations are, they're donor funded. They definitely need people to donate to them, which I'm not asking to make a donation today. I will sometime um, get the main lawyer on this show. I mean, I, I know her and I, she, we tried one time and couldn't, or a couple times, couldn't work out. But in any case, point is, there's an amazing story I want to share with you. Just have you think about the concept of this. So there's these happy parents, you know, parents are so excited to be parents. Uh, Dan and Jennifer Mead, M-E-A-D Mead, they uh, had a daughter in middle school and their daughter was meeting with a school counselor regularly. And so, you know, I mean, 
parents, some parents probably wouldn't like that. They, they would probably be in the middle of it. Some parents would love it. I don't know. But in any case, they had been um, talking with a counselor and other officials, and, um, and they had the officials, the school officials, were claiming they had been regular touch with, with the parents, Dan and Jennifer, about what was being discussed. Because, of course, it's your child being you know, talking to a counselor, and you as a parent, I mean, you are actually the primary caretaker of this child, not the school system, the parents. But these parents believe they're being told by the school system what was basically going on. Lo and behold, months and months later, the Mies discovered that the school had been secretly treating their daughter as a boy for months. One of these cases where... And I want you, I know we've mentioned these cases before, we've talked about them in the show, but really try to immerse yourself. Get that mental picture in your head. You're a school administrator. You've got a girl, a, a junior high age student, a middle school age student, who's got whatever's going on, challenges in life, and heaven knows any of you who recall, who recall adolescence and middle school and junior high school, even high school, you know, a lot of things go on. You're, you're struggling, many people are, in social ways and changes in your body and, and, and you know, self-consciousness and popularity contests and concerns about who likes you and who's popular, blah, blah, blah. All these things go on, they're normal phases. But this girl had been talking to the counselors and using the young daughter, uh, calling her by her male pronouns and a masculine name, and then turning when they talked to the parents and using the female pronouns and her real name. And so the parents are suing the school over this. And Alliance Defending Freedom, the group I mentioned, they took the uh, case. So this is a public school district. Um, I think it's called Rockford, Rockford Public School District um, in uh, Michigan. And the parents are going after school for essentially deceiving them about what they have been talking to their daughter about. And you know, I, the reason I said a minute ago about really try to put yourself in, your, in these parents' shoes, I do truly think that we get desensitized to so much of lunacy, absolute lunacy of the left in this country that we almost, we become desensitized to it. Like kids, I always use this example, kids who watch way too much violence in video games and they're desensitized to actual violence and actual death and actual harm because they see it, it's like the norm to them. So this story about this family suing the public school system, I want you to think how much trust, basically my parents, you know, we had three kids in our family. We, my parents sent us off to public school and it was not some high-end wealthy area public school. It was, you know, it was a city public school. And my parents, you know, trusted the officials. They never gave two seconds thought to anything that would be going on at the school that they that the counselors would know about, but they wouldn't tell the parents. I, I'm just gonna tell you, it never occurred to my parents. But these people, um, these so these parents, uh, Dan and Jennifer, are suing the school over this policy of lying to parents. And I'll say that we could, we could get off on the whole discussion uh, right now just on the question of the transgender lunacy. And by the way, if you have not, if you didn't ever see the show, I've interviewed, um, had shows about this, but one great interview I did on this show, I urge you to watch again and look for this, this um, expert. Her name is Dr. Miriam 
Grossman, Dr. Miriam Grossman. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and just type in, or just type in Debbie Georgiatis and Dr. Miriam Grossman, the interview will pop up. I had her on a Thursday show several months ago. She is a New York City psychiatrist, and she wrote a book about this transgender movement. She's an enormously enormously brave psychiatrist because as with everything else the left pushes, including transgenderism, whatever they decide is the truth, the only thing that must be spoken, and nobody else is ever allowed to say anything different. If you dare to challenge them, you'd be canceled, ridiculed, mocked, you know, shut out of society, how the left treats every issue and how the left treats everyone who disagrees with them. That's what they're trying to do to her, Dr. Miriam Grossman. She's a psychiatrist with years of experience, and she's basically saying this entire transgender craze is not scientific, not based in fact, not real. There is no such thing as gender identity. The concept of gender being an identity versus your sex as assigned at conception, you're either a male or a female, this whole concept of gender identity and gender ideology, she is basically saying is absolutely hogwash. Hogwash, no basis in science, and everything that's happening to children especially because this has swept over society like a heat wave or like an infection, that you, it is harder and harder for psychiatrists like Dr. Grossman and many others to speak up, to say something that is consistent with truth and science rather than with what is the trendy thing to say. And I'm raising all that to say this story, in part, you have to understand that the entire transgender advocacy lunacy, transgender, you know, encouragement of children to engage in mutilation of their genitals, mutilation of their bodies, confuse their young, precious forming minds. This is, this is evil and it's a harm. I urge you to watch that show, Dr. Miriam Grossman, read her book. I have read her book. It's very good. And then turn back to this story. So the story is this lunacy that isn't even real. Parents, I'm going to guess, don't believe in the transgender ideology. And the parents have been lied to by the public school. Lied to by school administrators, not just once, not just like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's fine, but actually lied to about the content of conversations and hiding from the parents what they're doing to this child. This child who needs parental attention, support, encouragement, and love. And the school is deciding, this, these counselors are deciding, we know better than the parents. And, you know, I always talk in my show about, my show is about standing up for America. And the assault of the left on America is so vast and widespread on a whole array, arena of ideas. This is just one of them. Because the assault on children and their innocence and their God-given identity as male and female, this ends up being an assault on parents' rights to raise their children and essentially on those on people of faith, the Christian faith and many other faiths. Parents believe in, they actually, they, they have a right to, and they believe in, because of their faith, that there's God-given identity. You, it's, usually it's Christian faith, but it's also true in Islamic uh, faith. It's also true in Judaism. They believe there's male and female, and that's what there is. And so for a confused middle schooler to have some issues, especially in this arena, this, this time in America where this uh, transgender lunacy has been spread around, uh, you know, like uh, in just an unprecedented manner, the parents 
would probably want to have had some input over the months this child was being counseled by school counselors who were encouraging this girl to think she's a boy, to calling her by a boy's name, letting her conduct her life as though she's a boy, and, um, and then lying to the parents repeatedly. This is not just a case about one girl and one school and one set of advisors or, or counselors. It's a story of the way the left operates in this country and has operated in pushing transgender lunacy on all of America. And so I really, truly, truly deeply commend uh, this Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF. They're a fabulous organization. Uh, look them up online. Um, and they're making the point, parents, schools should partner with parents. And that's the way it used to be. I mean, you know, I didn't happen to get in much trouble in school, but kids who did get in trouble, the school would often talk to the parents. You know, little Jimmy is skipping school too much, or little so-and-so is doing whatever they're doing. The parent, the school viewed the parents as part of the, this child's life. And the assumption was the parents had some role to play in that child's life. And the parents had the right to, to know what was going on. These school, these people, these uh, school counselors are treating this girl's own parents as though they had no right to know what this girl was doing. And this, this is a bigger issue than just the transgender issue. It's part of what the left is, is disrupting in our culture. Leftist ideology disrupts in our culture, disrupts the Christian faith, disrupts the role of parents. And so I really, truly, deeply commend America's uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. I will keep you abreast of that story. Okay, the last thing I wanna hit, and I, I debated doing this story because I'm aware it's a tiny bit legally and wonky, but I actually think it's a huge issue. So. There's a Supreme Court uh, decision. Um, there is a, a past Supreme Court decision which has uh, gave rise to the term Chevron deference. This matters. Don't don't tune the, the dial, as they say. This actually matters. So the basic concept is, you know, in America, we have we the people we elect our government. We have members, you know, state legislation and in Congress. We have a House and a Senate. They pass laws, and those laws, if you don't like the laws they pass, then the next time around, you can vote those people out. It's the, one of the main themes of many candidates I know for Congress, for Senate, and state level is they're pointing out the votes of the person they're trying to remove, saying, "I'm voting, you know, vote for me because so and so who's in office." voted, you know, they made this vote that was terrible, whatever, whatever they're talking about. So that the idea of the government making laws and the people still retaining sovereignty requires that the people can remove from office people who are not complying with, you know, the, the general theme of how you think about life or passing policies you don't like. But what's happened, the federal government in the form of the Congress and the Senate passed laws, and those laws get sent over to federal agencies. And those agencies are supposed to interpret and enforce those laws. The agencies spell out details, you know, they, they, they give details, they issue regulations. So they're, they're part of the enforcement of the, of the laws. But what has happened, as you all know, over decades is many of the agencies in Washington, D.C. have become in themselves a fourth branch of government, a bureaucracy, a for, the, the bureaucratic um, you know, leviathan, this massive force in Washington that makes all sorts of laws, not laws, policies, regulations. They can litigate. They can sue you. They can shut down your business. They can fine you. They can close your business. These people can do, they have tremendous power in federal agencies. And obviously, as you know, you can't vote them out. You can't make them stop. You can't make them listen. And what we've had, so then you, your, your solution, if you're saying, hey, you know, the EPA shut down my business, 
through some stupid regulation, unjustified. The regulation is not justified by the actual law that Congress passed. You can go to court and you say, look what the APA did. Now, they made this idiotic regulation and I want the court to look at it. So that gets around to the courts. So what has happened historically, I'm sorry for all of you who already knew all this, but I thought that'd be a good thing to walk through and explain. The courts have historically, they developed, the Supreme Court developed, a. it's called the Chevron deference. Chevron deference. It's a, it came from a case. But the gist of it is the concept the court applies when they're looking at some regulation that has harmed a business, harmed an American citizen, they're trying to decide, is this regulation justified? Is it within the scope of what Congress passed? The actual people you get to vote for passed a law, goes to the agency. I'm picking on the EPA. This happens in, in dozens and dozens of agencies in Washington. In fact, hundreds of agencies. So in any case, the concept of the Supreme Court, they have to have a standard to look at cases, and they came up with a Chevron deference, which essentially was, unless a regulation is utterly inconsistent with the law as, as passed by Congress, unless it's absolutely opposite of, of what was supposed to happen, you know, and under this law, they're going to make deference to, they're going to defer to, they're going to assume the agency was justified in what they did. So it expands the power. The Chevron deference doctrine courts use expands the power of the bureaucracies of the federal government because it will not closely challenge what the, um, uh, what the agency has done. As long as it doesn't, you know, isn't far afield or completely contradictory uh, to the, the federal law. And so if it's muddled or unsure, or if it's only maybe slightly or only questionably uh, inconsistent with the law, the courts let it go. The courts say, fine, the EPA can do that, the federal agency can do that, and you have no recourse. You can't vote these people out. So Chevron deference, right now, Chevron deference is being discussed by the Supreme Court in two cases, uh, which are essentially Loper Bright Enterprises, they're probably called Loper versus Raymundo, but it's Loper Bright Enterprises, and as well as Relentless, they're calling, the other case is called Relentless versus Department of Commerce. So it's Relentless versus Department of Commerce. So it's Loper and Relentless. Those two cases are in front of the Supreme Court, and they're going to be heard tomorrow, January 17th. And the gist of it is, these cases involve the, the federal agencies, some federal agencies, I think it was EPA, but whichever, oh, one was a fishing one, a fishing regulation. Um, and the gist of it was the fishing regulation basically said to make sure that these fishing, commercial fishing vessels are not, you know, overfishing or doing something not allowed to do, they have to have a federal agent on these shipping, these fishing vessels and... You, the company, the owner of the company, you have to pay this person's salary. Not the federal government, not the EPA, not that, you know, but you, the business, you're being burdened to pay somebody to sit on your ship and hassle you about regulations. And so that was one of them. There are probably many more. I'm getting to the point the Supreme Court is looking at the question of whether the Chevron deference doctrine was was right or not. And so I want, the reason I want to mention it is when people gripe about the federal government and the grotesque expansion of power of the federal agencies, 
This doctrine has caused many court decisions to result in a court upholding the actions of a federal agency and the citizen, the business, the person harmed by what they are calling overreach by the agency has no recourse. You're just stuck. You maybe can get into Congress and say, hey, Mr. Mont, you know, you're my congressman. Could you please do something about this? Could you write a letter over there? Or could you add, could you amend this law to make clear they can't do that? But it's a very, very hard process. There's so uh, the reason I want to mention this is twofold. One is I think it's a great thing for the court to look at. And then you know by the, uh, which website you're looking at, you know, which, or whether someone's coming from the left or the right. Because there's nothing that the anti-American left loves more than controlling people. It is they live and breathe to do it, to find new laws, new regulations, new limitations on your right as a free citizen. This is what the left lives to do. It's the point of their existence on earth is to control people. So there was a case, uh, there, there were two articles I'll mention to talk about how differently this Chevron deference uh, issue is being discussed, whether you're on the left or the right. So uh, VOX, Vox.com, you know, leftist, total leftist, they have an article out talking about how very, very, very dangerous this would be if the Supreme Court um, got rid of the Chevron deference. So basically, the result would be if the court uh, no longer says they're going to honor Chevron deference, deference what they're going to do instead is they're going to say to an agency, we don't think you were justified in doing this, so we're striking down your regulation. Regulation. So it'll force the, the agencies to go back to Congress and get Congress, put the burden on the agency to go back to Congress and say, do you want us doing this or not? Is this allowed or not? So it's going to force you put the burden on the agencies to justify their relentless overreach versus the pressure being on the citizen to have to try to get a congressman to change things. So there was a Vox article. The title of it just tells you all you need to know. The Supreme Court cases asking the justices to put themselves in charge of everything explain. So they're trying to characterize this as the judges are trying to be in charge. They're trying to take over. And that's not what it is. It's not the judges trying to take over. It's the judges trying to hand power back if they were to get rid of Chevron deference. It's the judges giving power back to the hands of the people so we can elect people in Congress and they and what they pass as laws do not end up being sent over to agencies and agencies just explode with regulations to enforce that particular law. The, the federal, reg, uh, and, and I meant to look it up, how, um, how long or lengthy, some measure of how big the federal register is, but the federal register is full of regulations. It's exploding uh, with agencies. And you just think about these people in these agencies, they've got a job, they've got to justify their existence, they've got some law, and so what are they going to do with it? Well, let's find more ways it could apply more ways we can control people and regulate their lives and regulate everything they're doing. These people are leftists. Many of them, these bureaucracies, they live to control people. So that's how Vox covered it. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had an article, Chevron defense is a case of too much judicial restraint. The precedent, and this is how Wall Street Journal is explaining it, strips judges and lawmakers of legitimate power and hands it to bureaucrats. And that, my friends, is the truth. The last thing we need in this country, in fact, I was thrilled to hear they're going to look at Chevron, de uh, Chevron deference um, as, as a standard because it has for years been kind of the court's excuse. Well, we couldn't really help these plaintiffs. Yeah, the EPA shut their business down, you know, over a puddle in their parking lot. But we can't do anything about it. You know, look at the EPA, Chevron deference. So it forces the courts to look more closely and to really hopefully limit 
many of the federal bureaucracies that are just, they, they are just breeding grounds for people who love to control other people who are basically leftists. Before I, at the close of every show, I do this little segment called Why It Matters to You. But before I do that, I want to urge you to go to my website, two websites. One is for this talk show, which is americacanwetalk.org. americacanwetalk.org. At that website, every show, interview, etc. Uh, we've ever done is there. The blog post we write. Love to have you join. Love to have you donate. This show is actually listener supported. I don't get paid to do this show and I've been doing it for almost 10 years. I do it because out of passion and love for America, to stand up for America and its unique and extraordinary greatness and the goodness of the American people. That's why I do this show would love your support. I'm blessed to have the capacity to do this. Would love your support. The other website I also and equally urge you to go to relates to a campaign I am running. I am running for Republican National Committee woman for Texas. And that means I'm running to be one of the three people on the Republican National Committee. I think Ronna McDaniel, she's ahead of it. There are three people from every state, committee man, committee woman, and the state party GOP chair. I'm running to be Republican National Committee woman from Texas. Our website for that is Debbie G, D-E-B-B-I-E-G, the numeral four, number four, rnc.com, Debbie G for rnc.com. If you go to that website, you'll see pieces I've put up about what I think about issues of the day, which I love to have you do. If you love this show, you can endorse me. You can endorse from anywhere in America, and I've gotten many extremely prominent national leaders on big issues endorsing my campaign. I love your endorsement. If you would consider doing that, you can communicate with me through that website as well. Send in your question. So debbiegforrnc.com. You can only vote for this race if you are a delegate to the Texas State Convention, the GOP convention, which will be in May of this year. So the voting happens in May. It's not in the March primary. But it's a May vote, and I want to bring my voice of love for America to the RNC, my passion for America to the RNC. So if you would like to, you can donate there as well, because this race costs money to run because I'm traveling all over Texas and doing it. Love to have your support in that as well. But mostly, I love having you listen. I want to thank you for listening to America Can We Talk. Now I'll quickly close with my closing segment of why it matters to you. So we started our show today talking about Trump's blowout victory in Iowa. Iowans delivered the message of the American people. Blizzards will not stop the American people from acting to take back their country. All but one of Iowa's 99 counties voted for Trump by historic margins. And the one county that didn't went for Haley because of Democrat votes. I didn't even get to that story. But the one county Haley won, Nikki Haley won, had Democrats crossing over, which shouldn't be allowed, but they did. Trump is the only solution to the manifest corruption and anti-American arrogance of the deep state, the Uniparty. Ramaswamy has withdrawn from further campaigning. So should DeSantis and Haley. We can give them a few more states and see how they do, but I think they need to step up and do the statesmanlike thing. Tucker Carlson and others are speaking the truth about the emerging reality. Haley is a Democrat's preferred option for getting away from Biden and defeating Trump. Watch for heavy Democrat crossover votes in New Hampshire to give Haley a, quote, win, close quote. Scope of the machinations of moneyed interests to stop Trump are astounding. Their fear of him is why the American people support him. An ADF fighting back against woke tyranny in schools, Michigan School District actively deceived parents as to transitioning of their daughter. School officials used male pronouns and a male name for their daughter while at school hid this fact from the parents, used correct pronouns when meeting with the parents. School officials viewed parents as obstacles to care and treatment of children.
This case highlights fundamental questions as to the relationship between state and family. Honoring and supporting the traditional role of parents in the raising of their children is as American as apple pie. Injecting the state-sanctioned religion of transgenderism into public schools is a classic communist tactic for destroying the nuclear family as the bedrock of American society. Kudos to the Alliance Defending Freedom for taking on this case. These kinds of school policies must be found unconstitutional, and those officials should be removed from their jobs. Chevron, a SCOTUS pivot to restore the republic, question mark. Chevron case represents long-standing judicial posture of deference to agency judgments in implementing legislation and policy, but agency overreach, particularly in the environmental realm, has led to backlash. Are agencies usurping the role of the popularly elected legislature to make critical society-shaping rules and regulations? Of course they are. SCOTUS will hear arguments tomorrow, Wednesday, on a case that could lead to reversing Chevron. The left supports Chevron, loves agency power in the hands of unfireable ideologues. MAGA opposes Chevron. Out-of-control deep state is fed by deference to agencies. America, government by the consent of the governed. That is the point of America. Chevron doctrine has undermined this founding principle and should be overturned. That, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. On Thursday's show, I'm actually doing my show from our Real News PR Austin studio, and so there won't be a studio audience, but I'm interviewing uh, a longtime um, advocate for America and freedom, Chuck DeVore. He is with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. He's got a book out. We're going to talk about his book and the advocacy for freedom in Texas. That is Thursday's show. I want to thank each of you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear